ac.org. The time is now 3 p.m. Stay tuned for a stone's throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the What a picture it is, yes. Drop the shadows out of sight. <laughs> Not too many shadows today. Um, I was listening to the good doctor on the program before this. This is Jennifer Stone coming at you with Stone's Throw. The good doctor was talking about our suicidal species. My favorite subject. Just my favorite. I've got a stack at home of... Poems and essays about, uh, oh, what is that? Our suicidal scene, uh, there's a whole, there's a whole book of poems by Edna St. Vincent Millay that I, I think I'll bring it back and read it, except that I'm scared I'll depress people. Everybody says we must be upbeat, or too many people tell me we must be, uh, optimistic. We must never tell the children there is no hope. Uh, <laughs> there's hope for the Pope. Yes, a lot of people say there's hope for the Pope. Uh, I think it's back back to um, the drawing board there, folks. We do need to remember where we came from. Uh, we're progressives around here, and uh, I, I don't mind people trying to find something cheerful about, uh, well... The, the Vatican rag. Yes, we used to have the Vatican rag. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I suppose you can find positive things to say about this guy. I mean, he does call himself Francis. Francis the first. Um, my favorite saint, Saint Francis. Uh, I had so many things, so many things um, this this week, and I fragmented completely and sank down in front of TV and started staring at this man, 76 years old, the Pope. He seems to be a global celebrity. Since when? I guess since quite a long time. Uh, 76 years old, still time to make some changes. Right. Everyone is so delighted to learn that he rides the bus, uh, he has suffered. He only has one lung. Lost a lung when he was a young man. Uh, uh, of course, then there are those who say that perhaps he committed some, let's call them sins of omission. Back in the dirty wars in Argentina, he may not have done something he should have done. Now, uh, I'm sure we'll hear more about that as time goes on, but... Uh, 
I suppose anybody who lived through those times has something to be guilty about. Uh, anyway, uh, I just think it's time to be cautious. Uh, I don't want to say he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, but he's obviously a conservative. Uh, and I just, I just couldn't help, uh, kind of wincing, looking at all those lovely nuns and thinking how hopeful they are, how they, uh, look forward to good things, changes, you know, uh, <laughs> then I looked at the crowd, uh, and the people up on the, uh, on the, uh, altars there, the, the gentlemen, not a woman among them, no girls. It's all patriarchal poop. It's all primate grandiosity. It's all the church. Now, they say that this fellow is trying to be a good Christian, that he's a man of God and all that. And I suppose that's a, a nice gesture. Uh, I guess, yes. Uh, what was the good doctor saying in the program before this? Yes, all that stuff about reptilian brain stems. I'm afraid that, um, what is that? Um, the distrust, the loathing, the dread of woman is so evident. It, it just permeates the atmosphere there at the Vatican. And uh, I don't know what will change it. I found some letters last night, but again, they're too, too grim. Uh Letters from women in a church, uh, I guess I have to say begging the last couple of popes to uh, include them, to be inclusive in the church. And I, I don't I don't see how that can happen without a major revolution. Uh, I was watching a program on PBS last night called Half the World. It was about the global war on women was full of, uh, you know, Meg Ryan weeping over the wretched of the earth and Gloria Steinem and Hillary Clinton and, uh, you know, uh, the culture of compassion. And I thought, well, now if the Pope would just invite all those women over for tea. <laughs> there was a little girl from Cambodia. Her name was Forgiveness. And um, her right eye had been gouged out by a brothel owner. And I thought, well, surely the Pope wouldn't, would want to, um, hold her hand and comfort her. Uh, Charlotte Bronte says, nothing refines like affection. Meg Ryan and all the other, uh, celebrities and good folk and, uh, and big mamas were hugging and kissing the girls and saying that, uh, affection, yes, affection is what will cure them. What I liked best was the fact that so many of the young women, uh, thinking of the ones in Cambodia, they had learned how to tell their stories. They had learned how to express themselves. It's that theatrical thing that I love. Uh, they have to be able to say it out loud, say what happened to them. Because, of course, uh, the girls who have been trafficked, you know, sex trafficking, <laughs> Well, some of them were scullery maids, but that was the easy part. They've been raped and rejected by their families and, you know, uh, their own fathers and husbands and brothers cast them out. It's very interesting the way we've 
we've done that. Um, that was not a story of fallen women. It's about children in mortal danger. And I, I was thinking, yes, it, it seems that the girls are getting younger and younger. I think we know why that's happening. Perhaps the women are getting stronger. So by the time they're 13, if <laughs> if they haven't learned to fear, you know, to fear abuse and take care of themselves, well, that's pretty rare. One of the girls, uh, she's from Vietnam, I remember. She was afraid of ghosts, she said, and they said, well, ghosts can't hurt you. And she said, no, no, I'm afraid of living ghosts. That's what it's all about, folks, living ghosts. I want to spend my time today, I've already spent eight minutes just yammering. I want to spend my time today on uh, what I consider uh, a woman's theologian named Barbara G. Walker. Uh, she's called The Skeptical Feminist in the book that I brought with me. Uh, it's called Women Without Superstition, No Gods, No Masters. Now, I know she, she does come around to the notion that perhaps, you know, perhaps if we really have to have gods, we could go with, uh, uh, well, what is it? The great Goethe says, the eternal feminine leads us on. Uh, I, I'm amazed at the number of people who wince when I say goddess still. It makes them miserable and they insist that if I'm going to reject uh masculine gods, then I must reject feminine gods. I think it's called hardening of the categories. Anyway, <clears throat> this book that I have with me is the collected writings of women free thinkers of the 19th and 20th centuries. This is a book that no school teacher can do without. It's edited by Annie Laurie Gaylor, and uh, it's a tome. I read at it. It's one of those books I have at the head of my uh, bed there on the shelf, a uh, reference book. Women Without Superstition, Barbara G. Walker, The Skeptical Feminist. Um, this is the one I tell people to start with. There's a few people who still seem to think that they need educating. They need to know what feminism is all about. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barbara Walker rejected uh, the... Uh, what do you call it, the orthodox religions as a child, and she's put together a book called The Woman's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, first published in 1983. You can get uh, big paperback copies of that for, oh, I bought one for $20 back in the day. Here's what she writes. Here's a little, a little quote at the top of this essay. In the Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, Barbara Walker writes, The real reason for the persistence of that witchcraft idea was that Christian authorities couldn't let it die. They couldn't let it die without admitting that God's word was wrong and God's servants had committed millions of legal murders and tortured millions of helpless people without cause. Anyway, she says that... Uh, the religious mold, orthodox religion, is slavery of the mind. And uh, she says a few things about the King James Bible, how cruel it is. <laughs> you know how that is. don't care what they say, really, but the, the rhythms are terrific. Uh, 
I like to rewrite it. Elizabeth Cady Stanton was always rewriting the Bible. Anyway, let's see. Barbara Walker. Uh, oh, let's see. Horses. Uh, married a research chemist. Um, taught the Martha Graham dance technique. Oh, gosh. Anyway, in the 70s, she became part of the new feminist wave, reading Mary Daly and Merlin Stone and all those good people. Uh, now, her monumental feminist free thought encyclopedia is what I like to use for a beginning workshop. Uh, I think especially because it gives women material for poetry, for imagery. It lets their imaginations soar. I know that the real problem, of course, is equal pay for equal work and all that blathers. But what I like is the 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 poetic side of feminism. Uh, you know, I I think I I discovered it when I was, uh, gosh, I think already in my my late thirties, forties, and uh, I think I think what happened to me was. It was this huge um, revelation. Everything I knew was suddenly upside down. It wasn't that uh, everything was a lie. It's just that, uh, you know, uh, I'd been looking at it from the wrong side. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think I realized what is it, that uh, our language had been stolen in the same way our land had been stolen. Uh, it all belonged to us once. It all belonged to the women. Uh, you know, it was our idea. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barbara Walker's books include The Crone, Woman of Age, Wisdom and Power, uh, The Eaching of the Goddess, The Skeptical Feminist, Discovering the Virgin Mother and Crone. That's another trinity. Uh, yes, Virgin Mother and Crone, and a source book of women's rituals. Just look her up on the net, Barbara G. Walker. And uh, I think, you know, whenever there's a holiday or an occasion, I just look in her encyclopedia and I can go right back to the source. No problem. Now, Barbara is a confirmed atheist. Uh, she says that uh, there's some psychological importance in this archetypal goddess image. I still like Bette Midler as Mother Earth. Yes, make Mother Earth your messiah. I put it up on my fridge. Uh, anyway, this woman has done feminist research for decades and uh, uh, she pretty much shrugs off what I would call the New Age, uh, what, parlor tricks, uh, you know, crystals and minerals and that sort of thing. She says crystals are inert, inorganic substances for people to claim they're going to cure cancer. <laughs> she says, I think that's irresponsible. It's a scam. And she talks about the uh, the way they sold indulgences. In the Middle Ages, in the Orthodox Church, you know. It's always about money. Okay. What is moral, she writes, is simply what does not hurt others. Kindness sums up everything. There you go. Uh, George Santayana, the philosopher, he says morality 
is the desire to lessen suffering. Uh, She also writes that God is a human projection of the image of man. Modern Christians take it for granted that they must revere the figures of father and son, never perceiving divinity in the corresponding mother-daughter figures as the ancients did. Uh, As a salvation cult, early Christianity based its scheme of redemption on the premise of female wickedness. And... Her final statement here, she says, The Christian hell was the most sadistic fantasy ever to masquerade as fact. Now, she is not as angry as Elizabeth Cady Stanton was. Elizabeth Cady Stanton split with Susan B. Anthony over the issue of a woman's Bible. Susan B. Anthony said, One revolution at a time. She said, We have to get the vote first, and then we'll worry about the... uh, uh, the Christianity problem, and uh, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton said, no, uh, Christianity is at the heart of woman's oppression. Patriarchal religions, uh, their first order of business is to oppress, subdue, uh, what do you call that, make women invisible. Of course, we know that women are the servants of uh, well, they, they do most of the work in the Orthodox religions, but they are not the boss of it. Yes, we used to say, right, not the boss of it. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Here is Barbara, Barbara Walker's essay. She begins by explaining that, <laughs> that uh, uh, her heart broke first when the local minister told her that she would not meet her dog in heaven. She was a little girl. She said the fact that the animals weren't allowed to join her in heaven made her suspicious. Uh, Anyway, uh, once she saw that there was all this uh, cruelty in uh, in Christianity, she said uh, that a God who decreed all this must be some kind of a lunatic. She goes on to say, when I got into my early teens, I set myself to study a very subversive book that gave God a very nasty character. This book was called the Bible. From the Bible, I learned that God did not like people very much. He created them, he called them his children, but he frequently repented of this. He destroyed whole populations. He set one tribe against another, fomented ruthless wars, casualties in the hundreds of thousands. The same God who said thou shalt not kill on the very next page recommends the killing of men, women, and children, of the little ones of every city. Ah. Let's see, she quotes First Samuel. Man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, Camel and ass. (laughs) And she says, I think it was the mention of the animals that really got to me. Neither was this God very kind to his chosen people. Periodically, he wiped out sizable numbers of them for relatively trivial offenses. He threatened them with the most colorful set of curses imaginable. (laughs) She She gives one of her favorite passages. Mm-hmm. 
pestilence, corruption, fever, inflammation, extreme burning, blasting, mildew, hemorrhoids, the botch, the scab, the itch, madness, blindness, slavery, plague, and barren lands. <laughs> ah, she says, it sort of seemed like overkill. The essay goes on. God particularly disliked women. He hit women where they live by making motherhood a curse. Giving men permission to lord it over women. We all know that passage from Genesis 3. Uh, let's see. Let me read you my favorite. Uh, ah, right. Ecclesiastes. Right. That's my favorite. Uh, St. <laughs> Paul, yes, in the letters he writes, I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. <laughs> well, you, you bet your ass, Ecclesiastes, woman is a snare. A snare any sensible man wishes to be caught in, as far as I know. Uh, anyway, uh, Pre-Christian woman is another story. Never mind. Uh, let me go on with Barbara Walker's essay. Uh, she writes, It made me very uneasy to learn that God commanded that any girl found not to be a virgin on her wedding night must be stoned to death by the men of her village. Deuteronomy 22. However, no such punishment was meted out to a promiscuous bridegroom. So I wondered if unmarried women remained virginal on pain of death, and if married women were also off-limits, who's left for the promiscuous young men to be promiscuous with? Some failure of communication there. Anyway, she writes, I came to realize there is a strong element of woman hatred in every form of patriarchal religion. But there is also a form of hatred of human beings in general. My footnote here is, I think it's called anti-life, you know, anti-eros. Anyway, she believes that faith in God necessarily implies a lack of faith in humanity. The profoundly cynical premise of all religionists is that people are not capable of behaving decently toward one another unless they are lured with promises of pie in the sky and simultaneously terrorized by threats of extreme nastiness in the eternal afterlife in hell. Now, this process begins in childhood. It's known as putting the fear of God into children. <laughs> That's usually a euphemism for harsh punishment. Every psychologist knows that childhood fears eventually become adult cruelties and or dysfunctions. Uh, as the poet writes, yes, uh, as every school child knows, those to whom evil is done do evil in return. 
Barbara Walker says being forced into unnecessary fear is not really the best route to mental health. <laughs> and she goes on about the Inquisition in Europe and the sadistic legal murder of nearly nine million women, the ones they called witches. Ah. And then she goes on about the history of God. Mm -hmm. In our days, she says, uh, there's this game viewing God as more symbolic than literal and tacitly admitting that, well, he is a human creation rather than a creator. Men get together in these pretentious councils and decide what God is and what God thinks and what God wants the rest of us to do for him. And the one thing he never fails to want is more money. And she goes on to compare him to <laughs> Barnum. Yes, Barnum and Bailey. There's a sucker born every minute. Anyway, um, she says that uh, <laughs> the trouble is that too many people think uh, that all this stuff is real, the flim-flam. Uh, anyway, she points out that People get rich by entertaining the credulous, whether they're spellbinders, preachers, gurus, psychics, channelers, spiritualists, fortune tellers, miracle mongers, uh, the present day Barnums. Uh, now, I don't know. I'm sure the Pope is sincere. I'm sure he's a man of God, whatever we take that to mean in our day. Uh, I don't know. It's very curious that so many human beings are more willing to believe what doesn't make sense than to believe what does. Uh, anyway, God is the original founder of this flim-flam business, uh, or the purveyors of religiosity. Barbara Walker goes on to talk about our belief in magic and miracles and... Uh, she says that it may be, well, for the time being, human beings are not strong enough to live without belief. Uh, she seems to think it might be enough for us to believe in each other, but I think I go along with her. Uh, she says if a deity is to exist in the collective mind as a symbol of life, uh, of love or nature as they are perceived by human beings, then it seems that the mother goddess makes a far better symbol than the male god with his unsavory past. Mother nature or mother earth is the anthropomorphic or gynomorphic personification of what really makes life possible on this planet. This is the only living planet that we know or ever are likely to know. We have also come to understand the crucial influence of mothering behavior in the development of the human personality. Development of animals and humans, the necessity for men to practice their own versions of this kind of behavior in order to become decent people. My favorite credo is that nothing changes until fathers love their sons. More than they hate their enemies, there you go. That's the problem. If humanity continues to need a parent figure, 
then it is far better seen as an eminent mother figure rather than the transcendent father, the one we call the sky god. You know about the sky god. <laughs> anyway, uh, Barbara says that's why she's a feminist and that sh we must try to make clearer distinctions between the supernatural and the symbolic. She finishes by saying that while feminists are anti-God, they are not anti-men. The feminist message is that patriarchy hurts men too. I think perhaps it hurts men more than it hurts women. This is Ben Jennifer Stone reading to you from an essay by Barbara Walker, the skeptical feminist. Her book is the Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets. You can find it for 20 bucks in a used bookstore. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Are you interested in creating radio, video, blogging, podcasting, or media activism? Then you're invited to be an apprentice with the First Voice Media Action Program. We're bringing together technology, our voices, and our community stories to bring social change. I get to learn radio in a radio station, in a real radio station. And I think just the exposure to the variety of things happening in a radio station is fantastic. For more information or an application, visit kpfaapprentice.org or call... 510-848-6767, extension 235. That's 510-848-6767, extension 235. The updated application deadline is Friday, March 22nd at 5 p.m. The updated mandatory orientation date is Thursday, March 28th at 7 p.m. You, too, can help bring the voice of your community to the airwaves.